0: Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking. On today's episode of the Patient Flow Podcast, we welcome Rusty Rooms, Clinical Specialist Emergency and Access Services at OUMC, and Larissa Thornley, Nurse Manager at UC Health. Both have extensive experience building a transfer center. Today, they tell us about the challenges and rewards.
1: Rusty, if you could start, at OUNC, you decided to address some of the challenges that your hospital was facing, the perception that people couldn't get into the facility, and turning some patients away. How did you address those with the transfer center? What type of changes did you make, and how did you align with best practices?
0: Well, I mean, the first thing we had to do was we had all these siloed areas that we had to pull together into one centralized um, patient logistics center is what we have called it. And so we had outsourced our transfer center actually to Omaha from Oklahoma. And so the first thing we had to do was was pull that in because uh, in Omaha, they did not have access to our dynamic bed board, much less could they... Uh, understand where facilities were compared to the other, since they weren't from Oklahoma, uh, nor pronounce some of the um, Native American uh, names for towns that we had <laughs> have in Oklahoma. So uh, the first thing we had to do was, was pull those silos together, because with even with even that being this far as Omaha, we also had a, a little lady with in the bed doing bed assignments down in a little office a closet by herself. EVS dispatch and transport was in a different location. And the clinical coordinator, of course, was running all around the house, starting IVs as well as helping assign beds and those kind of things. So the first thing we had to do is pull all of those people together in in one room. Um, that clinical coordinator that was running around the house doing IV starts and those kind of things. we really separated that role so that way there could be a bed management nurse that's really the leader for that hub, that that uh, patient logistics center, this and that's the best practice of centralizing your patient logistics. and and they could they could set the priorities for that room. So that way, when they say this domino of, Um, event has to occur so that way the patient from the floor can go home the patient from the ICU can get to the floor and the patient from the ER can get up to the ICU can really set that priorities because they're all in the same room talking so that's that's really what the the first thing that we did um, to to align that group and to pull them together so that created a, a team a bed management team
1: great so just a lot of transparency Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because before the transfer center um, uh, did not have access to the dynamic bedboard. So when somebody called the transfer center, they got put on hold so they could call the bedboard and say, hey, do we have a bed? And they would say, no, we don't have a bed. Well, they didn't really know what kind of bed they would need. And so we had to change the whole philosophy over into, we will have a bed. It may not be immediately, but, but let's hear about the patient. Let's get an accepting physician, and then we'll work out what we need to do to, to build the bed. How How far we have to go to get that bed built for that patient that's coming in.
1: Uh, Larissa, how did you tackle the challenges that you were facing at uh, UC Health? I know you had three transfer centers, and some of the processes were different between the three of them.
2: I think for us, the biggest challenges were cultural. We had to gain physician buy in. Traditionally, physicians weren't really involved in big initiatives like this, and so we really had to reach out to them explain the why behind the integration of the three transfer centers, get past the, if it's not broken, don't fix it, I guess, feelings that they had. Um, they were all very happy with their current transfer centers and why would we at the Academic Medical Center need to take over for the system was kind of the the thought there. So we really had to build those relationships with physicians, um, met with all the physician leaders for each service line and really gained buy-in from them as, and as well as As Rusty was talking about transparency, we really had to be transparent with data and ensure that we were not manipulating their referral patterns. The academic center wasn't grabbing all the patients that would normally have gone to one of our community hospitals north or south. So it was just really building those relationships, transparency, and following through on anything that they asked as far as review of cases, that sort of thing. So we've been successful with engaging the physicians, I think, is our biggest hurdle over the cultural barrier it's not easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Related to that what type of staffing changes did you actually have to do to support it and what type of engagement support did you get from your executives?
0: Um, well, for us, I mean, the executives were really motivated by the need to take ownership of increasing our accepted transfers and decreasing the number of, you know, lost cases or the declines or cancels. That was really their, their motivating factor to supply us with any of the FTE that we needed um, and, uh, and take those challenges of if we bring this in and we own it ourselves, then we can make much more, of, much more headway um, than we could without
2: and I would add our uh, executive staff really wanted the referring providers to have a reliable, consistent experience when they call the transfer center versus three disparate transfer centers and their processes. Um, so they really bought into the one system, systematized approach for transfer center, and again, like Rusty said, increasing volumes um, by doing so, gaining economies of scale, and then just getting consistent processes established I think was really what did it for us. We were able to go from non-clinical staff to critical care nurses, paramedics, and we still have a few um, specialists to help with the registration type components. And then adding in the comm center for our ground and air CCT um, dispatch has been um, also instrumental in building volumes, especially utilizing our own assets. Um, I think we had an increase of 30% utilization of our own assets since I think we started that May 18th. So we've really seen significant growth there. So just adding in the different roles, I guess, in the department and has really um, boosted our volumes. And um, executive leadership was instrumental in us being able to do so.
0: And I know it's true for Larissa, too, that we were able to justify those mm-hmm. resources because it all came to pass. Sure. That we've had a, a huge increase over the mm-hmm. years. I mean, year over year, an increase in the number of, of accepted transfers and the Decrease in the decline in the in the loss mm-hmm. volume.
1: That's great because that really showcases the health system and the community and right. and changes perceptions. Right,
0: and the executives have to trust when right. we, something like a transfer center is built. But I see it over <laughs> and over and over again that it's not it's not about the the patients that we're going to get in or, or the ones that don't pay and th- things like that that we're able to show that they we have mm-hmm. um, a very good pay mix of those patients that come in through the transfer center and it really does increase the bottom line. But the executives have to have that trust in which, we, you know, I know both of us were lucky enough to have leaders that were trustworthy in us and believed in, the, in, in building it. Thank you for listening to the Patient Flow podcast. We'll continue our conversation with Rusty Rooms and Larissa Thornley in our next episode. Thank you for listening.